Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. I have a very special guest and friend with us today, Carter Phipps. Carter is the author of Evolutionaries, Unlocking the Spiritual and Cultural Potential of Science's Greatest Idea. He is a journalist, a speaker, a leader, and consults to organizations and community organizations all around the world. He has focused on understanding the nature of both individual and cultural development co-founder of the Institute of Cultural Evolution, which is a nonprofit social policy institute. Its mission is to bring new insights on the evolution of culture to the arena of politics and social policy. And boy, do we need you these days, Carter. Welcome to the show, Carter. Thanks, Cheryl. Very nice to be on. It's great to have you here. Hey, where are you today? I'm in Oakland, California. Ah, nice day there, huh? In In the beautiful Bay Area. Nice, very nice. So um, I so appreciate that we have this time together today, Carter, because we have a whole lot going on in our world that you may have some answers to, and at least the right questions to ask. And um, you know, we're we're really looking to um, figure out how we got here and how we're going to get out of this in terms of our strange point in our evolution of our culture. Um, But before we get to that, I'm curious about you. What got you interested in this whole field to begin with? Well, I guess the the quick, the quick version, or I don't know if it's quick, but, uh, but the the basic version is, you know, I spent most of my twenties on a, on a, you know, pretty intensive spiritual search. And I was part of a spiritual community for a number of years. And I, I traveled in India and I sort of sought out, I did a lot of meditation, a lot of spiritual practice. And then in my 30s, or, you know, roughly in my 30s, I became the editor of a magazine called What is Enlightenment, which I was a, a journalist and writer and editor. And I, you know, researched uh, issues around spirituality and culture for a number of years and science and, and philosophy and, and uh, sort of applied my generalist leanings. And, and during that time, I... I began to think more deeply and understand more deeply. I was exposed to a lot of ideas about how, about evolution and the evolution of culture and, and what the integral philosophy and different ways of thinking about how, how culture evolved. And that sort of culminated in a book I wrote uh, called Evolutionaries that, that you mentioned. And then around uh, about six, seven years ago, uh, I worked uh, with a, a friend who I'd met during that time. And we founded this uh, institute to really think about and apply ideas about how culture evolves to our, the challenging nature of our politics, you know, the partisanship and, and how, can, how can understanding worldviews and how people get locked in worldviews and, and thinking about those issues help us to negotiate some of the cultural conflicts we have today. So that's the, the very quick version uh, of sort of uh, the last uh, 25 years. Obviously, there's a lot more, but roughly that's, uh, that's how I got here. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I think it's really interesting that for you, what got you here was more of a spiritual journey. And um, so really, you were kind of seeking to learn about you and in the process um, had questions about how that mattered to bigger questions of cultures, the world, you know, how things work. Um, you know, I'm, yeah. I, I feel like I just have to jump right in because, you know, so many of us are saying to ourselves these days, what's going on in this world? Everything seems like it's like turning upside down. Things we thought were true are not true. Thing, you know, behaviors by politicians and um, people who mm-hmm. are leaders in various countries um, are suddenly, even though they seem to a lot of us to be inappropriate, suddenly, you know, there's nothing happening to them. Whereas, mm-hmm. like, even 10 years ago, if they had done the same thing, um, they would have been thrown out of office so easily. What, what got us here? 
Well, that's a that's a big question and a good question. And you know, it's it's true. We're going through a very delicate, challenging, dangerous in some ways time. I think in our nation's history, and maybe and because of that, in our global you know global history. Um, I mean, I think we're at a time of uh, of great partisanship. And you know, one of the ways to think about this is you know, there's a lot of ways to think about this. But one of the ways we can think about it is. You know, we've gone through periods in our country's past and in our, you know, in, in sort of global history where we've been more, you know, as a nation, if you look at the post-war period, we were in a period where it was a much more integrated period. We were sort of converging. There was, we were much more together as a country in some ways. Um, now, obviously, there were lots of problems with that period. I'm not suggesting that period was, we should go back to that period at all. But it was a period of convergence, and one of the dynamics of evolution, evolution of culture, evolution of systems, is they go through periods of convergence, and then they go through periods of divergence. They go through well, so, so, integration. So let me interrupt you. So let me yeah. interrupt you. So do, what is convergence? What was converging? Well, the, I think in that, in that post-war era, there was a, a period where we wanted to we come together as a nation and rebuild after the war. Okay. And there was a kind right. of willingness to sort of see beyond differences and think of ourselves as kind of a whole nation. And, and of course there were, there were shadow sides to all that. I'm not suggesting there's any kind of great you know, period that we should go back to, but in general, right. that was the spirit, spirit of that era. And I think that's a, you know, often a spirit of generations that lived through war, you know, often will have right. that period. And, and so there was a lot of things that, that was the, the mood of that time. And I think in well, and so uh, it's like know, we all had common purpose. There was common yeah. purpose. That's right. There was a kind of common yeah. purpose. There were there were the, the media. You know, it was a period in which you know we didn't have a hundred media outlets. We had a few. You know, we right. didn't have, so it was right. less fragmented. The culture was less fragmented, and even at the level I would argue as as worldviews, there we had more. You know, there was a kind of commonality, or at least more commonality, the way we saw the world. The way we looked upon each other, and 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 that got broken up. And, and you know, one of the the things that happened in the '60s, late '60s and '70s, in the progressive movements of the time, uh, and again, many of these were really positive movements, but they broke up the culture. They changed the culture. They fractured the mm. culture. They and 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 you know, the the boomer generation that came of age in that time, you know, they they pointed out the problems with the previous decades and the things that, that needed to be addressed. And in doing so, they, they formed a, really a new way of thinking about the world, a whole new worldview, and they kind of fracture the culture. And so mm. now it took a while for that fracturing to work its way through, uh, uh, to work its way through the culture. And uh, we saw over the, over the, in the nineties, as that generation came of age politically, we saw the first, uh, the first impact of that fracturing on our political institutions. You know, people mm. often look and they talk about Newt Gingrich and Clinton and the fracturing of politics in that era as sort of the beginning of the partisanship. But it was really when mm. that generation came of age politically that we saw some of those tensions and, and, uh, and fragmentation of, that, of the previous era come of age and impact our political institutions. And now we're really, in some ways, maybe at the apex of that, as we've seen that over the last years with Trump. But, you know, so it's a period of great, of great uh, divergence, of disintegration, where the culture is more far, further apart politically than we've been in a long time, you know, at least since before the yeah. war, probably all the way back to the Civil War. And that's, you know, that may, that, that's not, it's not necessarily, a, a, it, it, it's a dangerous thing. You know, it, it doesn't mean necessarily the culture is regressing. It could mean, you know, in order to move forward, sometimes you have to go through periods of disintegration before you can go through periods of higher integration, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of how things work. So I think we can look at this as sort of a natural, in some ways it's a natural evolution of the culture, but like with any era, there are certain dangers that come along with it. And of course, there's great dangers that come along with this. So how we manage this era of disintegration is really important. You know, and maybe in 10 or 20 years, we'll, we'll you know, we'll, we'll come back to a, a very different, time period, but it's very important that we, we don't fracture too far, right? We don't get, we, you know, a lot can go wrong during this right. period, and that's what we have to guard against. Well, and so how do we know what's too far? Well, 
you know, a civil war would be too far. <laughs> um, there's, yeah. there's, a lot of things that, there's a lot of things that are too far, obviously. And, you know, we want to, you know, we want to, I, I think those of us who can see some of these trends have a certain responsibility to try to reach out beyond our partisan positions. We all have partisan positions and there's nothing wrong with that. Sure. But it's when things become super polarized and super hyper-partisan. That that uh, that we get into trouble, and obviously we, you know, when things become violent, when things become dangerous for the culture, and you can you can really regress as the culture. So you know, our institutions are undermined. Look, we're going through a very difficult period. I, I in no way do I deny it. So uh, so I don't mean to. I, I'm not trying to get put, put a good spin on it, but I think there's a way to look at it that can at least help us to to go through the next decade, which is not going to be easy, and hopefully, and, and move beyond mm. it. But I, I think we can move beyond it over time. Look, the country's been through a lot. We sometimes forget how much the country's been through over the last 200 mm. years. Yeah. So right. I, I think that, yeah. you know, what... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, you know, as look, I've always identified myself as a... You know, I've always been left-leaning in my life. I was a progressive growing up, even though I grew up in a very right-wing or right-oriented state. I grew up in Oklahoma. So... Uh, so I, I think whatever our partisan position, whatever, you know, we can, it, it helps to, you know, I, there's a statistic out where people are less likely to marry people across political lines than they are to marry people across racial lines. <laughs> like, interesting. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? Now, imagine me telling you that 50 years ago. I mean, right. on one hand, it, it speaks to how far the culture has evolved. Right. That's how far the culture's right. come, but it also speaks to other ways in which the culture is denigrated. You know, so it's just very interesting those dynamics. So the cult, you know, right. that's, how, that's how cultural evolution works. You know, you, it's a few steps forward in one area and a, and a step or two back in another area, and that's that's part of what happens. So, if in fact we are going through this disintegration of the old patterns, and the new patterns that are emerging, we can't see yet. Um, and so that, I think, is part of what sets the panic off. And also, um, what is happening, as you have said, have said it is very dangerous. And um, there is a sense in the world that no one has any control. No one, there's no one space of power that can step in and say, this does not work. This is not okay. Um, How is it that we can, as a society, and in our various cultures around the world, how can we truly influence this? You know, there, there are people stepping up and they just keep getting pushed back. Well, I think there's a couple answers to that. Um, I mean, I think we have to, well, I think there's things we can do individually, and then there's ways we can think about it that help. And I think the biggest issue is we can think about, we can appreciate, place this in the context of, of history. Like I said, you know, as bad as things may be, there are, you know, we, we sometimes forget how far we've come, you know, and we go through periods where, it seems like things could break down, and, and sometimes they do, historically, right? But still, if you look back at the sweep of 200, 300, 400 years, we've come a long way. So I, I think, you know, sometimes what can happen in moments like this is we lose faith in our culture. We lose faith in the institutions that are supposed to hold the culture together. And we understand why, that, why, we, why we doubt those things, but sometimes we overdo it. And it's when we, when we forget how far we've come, when we lose faith in our capacity to evolve as a culture, when we forget how much things have changed and how far they have come, then we start mm. reaching for, we start, we start losing our sense of the history and we start reaching for solutions that, that, uh, that are almost too dramatic, you know, and that's what happens across the political spectrum, right? People start reaching for revolutionary solutions. This is in, in my language, they start reaching for revolution when they should be reaching mm. for evolution. And those are different mm. things, you know. One is responding to the situation we have today and trying to move things forward. One is losing faith in culture completely and reaching for something outside of history to save us or some dramatic revolution to come. And I think that's right. when we get into dangerous territory. 
Well, you know, I, I wonder then if um, our access to technology and how we can know from minute to minute what is happening around the world is really influencing this sense of, sure. um, of gloom and doom, right? You know, I mean, when I think yeah. about the past and what has gone on in the past, you know, they, they didn't know, people didn't know what was happening, you know, halfway around the world until, you know, a week later, maybe. Oh, yeah. So, this has got to be influencing this, yeah. On one hand, it's good in the sense that it it connects us to the world. It gives us a sense of the problems in the world that we can respond to. But it's not good if it if it if it uh, distorts our view of culture, right? If 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 we had some Pollyannish view of culture, and then we suddenly think everything's going to hell, when in fact we're just much more aware of the problems in the world, right? Then that's a problem. That if we if it distorts our view of history, I think that that becomes a that becomes a problem. Yeah. So. So yeah, I think that, uh, that that's part of how what we can individ- you know individually we can have a much more uh, accurate view of what's happening and place it in context of this larger uh, you know how how good things are comparatively you know right. like so right. many good things have happened in the last thirty or forty years so there are some significant problems but let's keep it let's keep it in in, in context you know and the other thing I think right. we can do just in a country whether we're on the right or left. I think we can all sort of make an effort to appreciate, uh, you know, and to engage with people on the other side in, in a kind of a nonpartisan <laughs> spirit. And I think that needs to be done more and more. Uh, I do think, you know, one of the, we wrote a, a paper in our institute about, uh, about overcoming partisanship and how we can do that. And we've hosted gatherings with people on the left and the right. And, you know, one of the ways that, you know, there's this, there's a, one of the ways to think about the left and the right, you know, is, is in, in there, there's something you may be familiar with this, and, and it's called polarity theory. On some people use it in yeah. management circles, and and you know, in polarity theory, they talk about polarities, right? And polarities can be good. There can be there can be win-win polarities, or positive-positive polarities, or negative polarities. So, uh, right. negative polarities like like poverty and wealth. You know, we want more wealth, we want less mm-hmm. poverty. But a, but a positive-positive polarity is like uh, it's something you need. You need both of them. You need like like competition yeah. and cooperation. You need competition, you need cooperation. It's, by, it's, the, it's the two that work, to, they work together. If you have too much cooperation and no competition, something can, that, you know, it can be bad. And if you have too much competition, no cooperation, it can be bad. So left and right is a little bit like that. And I think we all follow mm. left and right. You know, there's healthy things on the right that we need. There's healthy things on the left that we need. If we think of the left-right polarity as a kind of a positive-positive polarity, now each has negative sides, each has unhealthy aspects, each has healthy and positive aspects. And the more we can sort of appreciate that as individuals, boy, that has a big Mm -hmm. impact on how we think about the world and how we think about people on the other side of political fence. And that's super important. It's absolutely important. I want to talk more about how we move to that perspective and, um, you know, what people can do themselves to try to make this happen when we come right back with Carter Fitz. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-294. 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. 
Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417. Or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. My very special guest today, Carter Phipps, the author of Evolutionaries, Unlocking the Spiritual and Cultural Potential of Science's Greatest Idea. Carter, in the last segment, we talked about the concept of polarity and how um, working on breaking up this partisanship that's going on so that people can actually hear each other appreciate another perspective. Um, That seems like nearly impossible at this moment in our culture Um, and, and, you know, quite disheartening for some people. Um, I'm, when I think about our, in the U S our previous political perspectives, yes, there was always a right and a left. And it seemed like there was more of a willingness to debate the ideas for the good of the people or for the good of society. And, um, and it seems like they weren't so divergent that there wasn't some common ground somewhere. Is that a misinterpretation on my part? No, I, I don't think that's a misinterpretation. I mean, I think if you go fur and further enough back, far enough back, if you go, you know, back 100 years, it may, it may be different. If you go back 150 years, obviously, you know, we had a civil war and things broke down completely. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it depends on when we go back to. But, but certainly in the last period, I think, you know, it's like the classic examples. You know, it's like you look at Reagan and Tip O'Neill. You know, people now look back to this, you know, golden era yeah. of bipartisanship. <laughs> now, now we, have, we have to remember, I'm old enough to remember how much, pe- you know, people on the left hated Reagan at the time and how much yeah. people, you know, it's like, we didn't, we didn't, as you probably remember too, we, we didn't think of yep. it that way then. And so we have to keep some perspective on things. But still, you know, they were of an era, of a more cooperative era and a more bipartisan era. And, and they were able to work together and get things done. And that's, that's great. But once, once we got into the 90s, uh, the, mm. uh, our politics sort of broke down. It was a very, and it's been a very different era since then. Now, you know, in a couple generations, I mean, another generation goes by in their 20 or 30 years. We may be looking back. It may be completely different. So we have to remember that thing, these things, they do go in cycles. Uh, and yeah. so it's not. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that's accurate. So what, do you, what would you say if you had to um, sum up what the most common worldview is today? One, is there one? And, um, and what do you think that is? Well, I, I think that in, in the way I look at this, um, there's really three major worldviews operating in America today, mm-hmm. and I think it's the clash between those three worldviews that we're dealing with. Now, we think mm-hmm. we, t- we so often we tend to see things in binary ways, and uh, right. you know, left and right, or uh, you know, uh, some people talk about you know, religion versus science, or and the two right. worldviews that people talk about the most is this kind of traditional worldview versus a more modern worldview. And that, in some mm. ways, that defined the country for, for much, much of its history, a sort of more traditional way of living, a more religious, often more religious. Right. And there's all kinds of values that we associate. When you say the word traditional values, you know, you think of the, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the moral majority or the religious right or something, sure. more mm-hmm. of a traditional way of and then you've got uh, more of a, and again, these are generalizations, but they do capture some truth, I think. Uh, you talk about a more modern worldview where the enlightenment values of science and freedom and, and uh, democracy and, and, uh, and for much of its history, America was sort of defined by emerging modern values. 
you know, a modern economy and everything that goes along with that, and the sort of urban, the urban economy, and you know, all, so much of it is history of of America was the, the, even arguably the original documents of the Constitution were some of the first. Uh, one of the first governments to be formed upon modern values, emerging modern values at the time, right? So, so America has been defined by this, this clash between a traditional worldview and some of the modern worldview. Um, but I think in the, in the 60s, what happened was another worldview came online at the, around that time. Uh, uh, we often call it progressive or postmodern worldview, how we define it. And, and that, that worldview broke up. You know, there was this kind of, you could argue a lot of the country was sort of built on alliances between the modern and traditional worldview. Uh, there was a certain mm. kind of truce that, that, there was a certain truce that had happened between those, not completely, but a certain truce that had happened between the modern and traditional worldview and the post-war era. But in the postmodern, uh, the, mo- the postmodern progressive worldview emerged in the, in the 60s and, and it came online with a lot of fire and energy and moral power. And there's a tremendous amount of uh, immoral, uh, you know, women's rights and civil rights and all these things that had been overlooked in the previous era. And it, it emerged with all this ferocity and energy. And it was great, good in many ways. And I certainly grew up identifying with that worldview. But it also sort of broke up, it, you know, it put, it put the other worldviews on the defensive and attacked them. It attacked them very intensively and it put them on the defensive. And, and it has been responsible for a huge amount of cultural change over the last mm. 40 years, you know. Uh, and that's been very positive in many ways. So uh, that, that progressive, postmodern, you know, worldview that we often identify that has a lot of influence in the Democratic Party. It's not all Democrats, but mm-hmm. it has a lot of influence in the Democratic Party. So that's the third worldview. So I think the culture right now is a clash between, in some ways, between these three these three worldviews more than it's just a clash of like left or right. So that's Mm. one way to think about it. And when you start to think about like that, you can understand on one hand, the culture has come so far over the last 40 years, culturally, we almost couldn't have imagined certain things that have happened the way we, the way we relate to, you know, gay rights and women's rights and civil rights. I mean, it's just, it's much of it was unthinkable 50 years ago, how far we've come, but that's caught, that's coming to price. And the pri- and so understanding that those dynamics helps us appreciate you know the what's happening at this moment. So you talk about a concept that is foreign to most people, and it's called transhumanism. Tell us what this is. <laughs> transhumanism. Sorry, what was the question? Yeah, so you, I see so you talk about it. Uh, that it, and it's a concept that's foreign to most people. So tell us what transhumanism is. So transhumanism is a, it's a way of thinking, it's a way, it's, so, uh, so in the book I write about, uh, you know, the evolution of culture, as I've been talking about, but I also write about ways of thinking about the future. And transhumanism right. is a way of thinking about the evolution of technology and where, it, and where it's going. So transhumanism was a, is, 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 it tells us that technology is changing so fast and that over the next few decades, we're going to reach a point, a kind of a, a singularity in history in which things will be changing so fast we won't be able to predict the future. The future will be, the, the, the velocity of change will be such that it will create an almost a singularity in history and that will eventually be able to replicate, you know, the, there's all kinds of ideas associated with transhumanism, but, but that, right. are, you know, it's, it's one of these ideas that will be able to replicate human consciousness in some ways. You know, people think if you, if you watch the, uh, the show Westworld on HBO, they deal with a lot of these themes that will be, that technology will, that, that the technology and, and artificial intelligence will get so smart, it will be able to replicate or become smarter than human consciousness. And I think the great thing about it, if you read transhumanists, uh, Ray Kurzweil was the one I interviewed in, in the book and, and spoke to. If you read Transhumanists, they get you thinking about, sometimes, you know, we, we have this tendency in our minds to always think the, future, the past was like a little bit like the present or the future is going to be like the present. And we, we, we sometimes have a hard time thinking in evolutionary terms, you know, appreciating how much change is actually happening. So when you read Transhumanists, they, 
they force you to acknowledge that technology is changing so fast that we right. are going to go through gr- tremendous disruptions over the next 30 or 40 years that are going to have a huge impact on how we think about life and how we, and they're going to have a huge impact on our own consciousness. And sometimes we forget that in terms of how we, how we think about the future. So transhumanists are exciting to read. I don't necessarily agree with all of their predictions about the future, but mm-hmm. you have to take mm-hmm. them seriously. Well, you know, and it, when I hear you say this, and, and one of the little quotes in the book was, warning, the future may be closer than it appears. <laughs> you know, I think, yeah, well, you know, and aren't we in every moment, we are creating the future. Because each moment informs our next moment. And each moment that we exist, each millisecond, is informing, you know, the next millisecond. And that is the future from the perspective of that specific moment. And so this is something that, um, you know, I really would love for people to understand. Because the concept of the future always is positioned as something way far away. Something that is, you know, a year away or et cetera. And I, I really want us to get to the point where we understand that, no, 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 we are the future because we are creating it every single moment. And that's what I, when I, I read that, um, that line about, you know, warning the future may be closer than it seems, um, you know, it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is. It's right here. And, um, and I just wonder how we help people understand that or even consider that that's mm. a possibility. Uh, that's a great way of, of thinking, about this, uh, thinking about one's own power to shape one's own life and to have at least some impact on the world itself, on culture. You know, it's like to the yeah. extent we have, you know, we, the, the choices we make are, are shaping our own lives. They're shaping culture in some, in some small way, but not necessarily insignificant way. We're, we're having that right. impact. And, and when you see yourself, when you recognize that, that, you're, that you can have that impact on yourself, what I, 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 it break, what I call in the book, I call it the spell of solidity. It breaks this idea mm. that everything is the same always, that we can't change ourselves, we can't change culture, it's always going to, it's outside of our control, and we suddenly feel empowered. We recognize the power of our own choice. However, however you know, our own free will, our own free choice to impact our own development and our own future. Now, I want to put a caveat around that. We can't just invent it however. We can't just predict how, you know, can change it completely, but we can still have an impact. And when, when, I, when people realize they can have an impact on their, their own future and the future of culture, it has a huge impact on their own psychology. It gives them what I call it kind of faith in the future. And that faith in the future mm-hmm. is so critical to, to, to our psychological health. It's when we lose that faith in the future that we get, we get so pessimistic. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a lot of what's going on these days um, because there's a sense of helplessness on a lot of people's parts, and there's a sense of, um, you know, it's almost like being in shock. How, do, how is this happening? And how come I feel so helpless? And it appears that there's nothing that can be done because everything I thought was true is not true. And, um, and then everybody goes back to live their life and, you know, just go back to work and do whatever they do and, you know, go to soccer games. And you know, it's, right, it's, sure. it's like, okay, we're just going to kind of live our life and pretend like everything is normal. And then, you know, get mad when we hear about what's going on in politics and become incredulous and then say, well, I can't do anything about that. So then go back to, you know, pretending like everything's normal. And, um, and I, I see this pattern going on and, um, and I wonder how we can um, help. And I'm not sure. I don't have an answer to this for sure. But how do we help um, our world understand collective consciousness? Because it seems that if we have this collective consciousness that, oh my God, the world is going to explode and um, there's nothing we can do, then it probably is, you know, going to happen if we just 
stand by and go back to the soccer game. Um, and yet, people don't want to be marching in the streets. People don't want to disrupt their lives. People don't want to say to their kids, the world is um, a bad place. Um, so, you know, is there an answer to this? Well, I, I think one of the dynamics that happens when people get involved in politics, and especially I see this in the progressive side, but also in the, in the right and the, on the conservatives as well, but is, you know, I, I say people alternate between two poles that I think neither are very healthy. They operate between a kind of a naive idealism and a, and a cynical, and it's sort of a cynical realism, you know, it's like, mm, and, yeah. and, and, and they kind of flip between them, and, and, and so much, and, and sometimes I see progressives, I'm, I'll talk about progressives, I think those, in some ways, those are, I know, I feel like I have a better sense of progressives, but, you know, progressives, they, you know, sometimes they can want the world to change in ways that are very noble, but unrealistic in the short term. And, and, when, and when that proves un, not possible, they can retreat to a kind of cynicism or pessimism, a kind of, you know, and then they, they flip between those two. And I guess the message I would offer is that we need to embrace, in the way that we were just speaking about earlier, a kind of a realistic, grounded optimism, not a cynical pessimism mm-hmm. or, a, or a false, naive hope that the world should be a lot better than it is. I mean, the world's been a mess yeah. for 3,000 years. You know, we, <laughs> we, can't, we can't, you know, it's like we have to have some perspective on history. I mean, we are, we're doing so good compared, you know, relatively. Let's, let's, let's place yeah. this, this period of disturbance in the larger context of history, and that helps us. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean we have to pretend it's okay. But it helps us to place it in context so we can then engage it in a more practical, more realistic, more grounded, mm. and, and yet still optimistic way. And I think that's the, the, to me, that's what I would, and I think that helps people psychologically, helps me at least, when I think of it that way. You know, Ray Kurzweil had one of the great lines about the future, I'll, I'll tell you. He had, he had, we always overestimate what can be achieved in the short term, but we always mm. underestimate what can be achieved in the long term in the long run. I'll say that again. We, we always overestimate what can be achieved in the short term, but we underestimate what can be achieved in the long term. And I think we relate to history a little bit that way too. So. Well, and that definitely plays right into our um, short-term need for, for profit and short-term need and immediate gratification yeah. in our culture. That gratification and, need, exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, boy, so how do we teach people to be patient? Yeah, if, if I can't, end, you know, if I can't end racism tomorrow, then damn it, we're you know I give up. You know, it's like yeah. No, right, I mean you know right, these right. things are these. There's a lot of dynamics about human the humans and human history that that we've come a long way on, and we we may be regressing in certain areas, but but you know hopefully we're stepping back so that we can take a further leap forward. Uh, moving, moving on, and, and uh, there's a lot of things we have to take into account when we're talking about uh, how about, about culture, you know. So sometimes I hear progressives sometimes, you know, thinking about why can't why can't why isn't everything just better, you know? It's like well, that's, not, that's not how things work, you know. It's like, but look, I mean, Bill, you know, we've we've lifted like you know half a billion or over the people out of poverty in the last thirty years. I mean, if you look at the trend lines of history. Over the last uh, 30 or 40 years, I mean, there's so many positive trend lines. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. someone like Steven Pinker has been very good at pointing this out. Now, I don't want to, we don't have to pretend that everything is good. There are serious problems. We have to also deal with those. And so, so we have to keep, we have to have a big enough heart and big enough mind to keep both these in mind, you know, and it's so easy to feel, you know, we, and we have to resist the tendency to, to righteousness and outrage, you know, it's such a, so easy to be, to be outraged, to be, to feel righteous, to feel, you know, it's like there's a, there's an attraction to, to, to pessimism and outrage and, you know, and all the, and, and so we, we have to resist that, you know, we have to keep both these things in mind and really, and it takes a, it takes a, it takes an effort, we have, but it helps. Well, yeah, and definitely resist the tendency to righteousness and outrage. And so whenever I'm coaching um, CEOs and execs around changing behavior, um, mm. saying, you know, stop that or try not to do that um, is, is an intellectual exercise. The, 
the important part is, and replace it with what? And so Mm. if we say to people, so resist that tendency, and instead, when you're feeling that, you know, that be great, you're grabbed by that, or you're feeling that emotion arise, um, do this instead. What would that be? What would the do this instead be? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Well said. Yeah. Are you, I mean, I, that's... I'm a, asking. That's a, what do you good, think? That's good coaching. Are you <laughs> asking? Answer, help us, Carter, help us. What would I do? <laughs> well, I, I think that, you know, look, there are, I, I want to be clear, there are, there are certain things that we can be justifiably outraged about. And that's fine to be occasionally to be outraged about something that shouldn't be the way it is. But I think what we need to do is, well, one thing, like I'm saying, is try to appreciate these in context, appreciate these historically, appreciate how far things have come. And also with other perspectives, we need to, we need to work to, 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 to appreciate other perspectives, you know, to, to like put ourselves in someone else's shoes and appreciate where they're coming Mm. from. You know, that's a great, important Mm. capacity to, to, even if we disagree with them, to appreciate why they might think that way, why they might, why right. someone else who has a different political view might have that view, what has shaped them, you know, maybe there's a legit, maybe there's a healthy and legitimate uh, complaint or, or expression at the heart of that view or, or, or that is part of the thing we don't agree with, you know. Uh, you know, so I think uh, making the effort to do that, um, so we don't just hide in our partisan bunker and throw bombs, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's the, mm-hmm. that doesn't help, you know, it's like, and yeah. there's a lot of, it's, but, it, but there's an easy way we, it's easy to do that, you know, so the other takes some effort. And so I would just encourage people, that's what we do instead. You know, we try to, we try to understand, we reach out, even, you don't have to reach out physically or personally, but you can do that as well, but you, but make mm-hmm. the effort to, Make the effort to, to, you know, make the effort to read people you don't agree with to, and appreciate that perspective. Make the effort to talk to people you don't agree with and appreciate their perspective. Try to understand, mm. you know, we have to reach out across these sort of ideological bunkers and, and make contact with, with the quote-unquote enemy and, and try to appreciate and understand that to some degree. You know, we, we, we all have to do that. And it doesn't mean we can't at times really feel strongly about things or be outraged, but, mm. but more, more often we have to do the, the other. Well, this is like not a, a little problem. <laughs> we have a big <laughs> job here. But we're going to talk more about this with Carter Phipps when we come right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. 
We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito with my very special guest, Carter Phipps. So, Carter, in this era that we are experiencing where we are seeing things that outrage some people and excite other people, and we are at the same time seeing a lot of the institutionalized practices Things like institutional racism, institutional sexism, um, you know, the whole idea that um, equity doesn't exist um, in, in society. All of these veils seem to be falling. And so at the same time that there's this enormous movement toward behavior that most people toward the left, the progressive a mentality can't wrap their mind around. There is this other element that has moved so far beyond what we have been able to do in the last 30, 40 years around um, discrimination and judgment and bias. Um, and it fascinates me that these things are happening at the same time. Is there a relationship? I, um, good. Uh, so there's several pieces in that question as far as I know. So I'm going to try to answer and let me, let me know if I missed something. So I, I think that's largely driven by, you know, what happened 10 years ago, you know, which is that we had a sort of a near death experience with the global economy in a way that was quite scary. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, in some ways that, that's a huge challenging thing, but that's a huge amount of disruption and a, you know, a huge amount of, of concern. And finally, you know, we're, the economy is growing again in a way that where we're starting to create more broad based wealth again, in a way that that didn't happen for a number of years. And when that doesn't happen, I mean, you know, I hear my progressive friends a lot of times speak about, you know, the evil of capitalism and stuff. But let me tell you, what get, what get, when, when, when growth starts to slow down, when, when, when wealth starts to be distributed unfairly and, and when the pie doesn't get bigger, you know, more than anything, when the pie stops getting bigger, boy, you talk about things breaking down. Uh, and so I, I do think that there was that sense for a number of years that the pie is not getting bigger and people start to reach for their own and reach for authoritarian leaders who can cut through the, you know, the, the bureaucracy and get things done and all these things. So right. I hope that this is not a trend that we will see continue for decades, but it's a, it's a worrisome, absolutely worrisome. Right. So right, on, right. The, on the, on the, on the other side, I just, uh, you know, I, I would just say that I mean, there's a lot of progressive movements. Like you said, a lot of the same, you know, like when I spoke about the changes in the 60s, the civil rights movement and the women's rights movements and gay rights and different things, you still see those continuing today, right? You see new moral energy around all of those issues today. And you feel, mm-hmm. because I think a lot of people felt there's been a kind of a backsliding in those issues. Now, I don't know if there's actually a backsliding or we're just more... Again, we become more aware that there's still a lot of racism, still a lot of institutional racism in, in culture, and we probably shouldn't be mm-hmm. shocked that that's still true. Uh, you know, again, I, I think that, I, so I, I think it's, it's great that people are responding to those things, the Me Too movement, where there's still a lot of problems in culture and right. male-female relations. That shouldn't be a, that probably shouldn't be a, a shock to anyone, but, so, so I think those are, there's a lot of healthy those are healthy things that are happening. I, I think right. where they become unhealthy, where they become unhealthy is when, again, it's like, do we see them as part of something we can help culture to evolve? Or do we see them as some sort of nothing has changed in a hundred years and we need a revolution to change it. And when we right. start thinking in those terms, I think when we start thinking in those terms, we start reaching for solutions that aren't very healthy because we don't, we're not mm-hmm. diagnosing the problem accurately. We're diagnosing the right. problem inaccurately. And then we start reaching for solutions that can, that can make things worse. And when, when the left starts reaching, and so I'm going to say, when the left starts reaching for solutions that can make things worse or at least be unhelpful, they exacerbate the reaction on the right. And then you get this right. ever-increasing polarization. So in some ways, I think it's even more incumbent upon the left to, to respond to all these cultural challenges in more healthy ways. And I think that will help 
tone down the counter and backlashes on the right. Uh, so that, that's uh, there's a lot in that. I don't mean to throw a lot at you. Yeah, that's a, that's yeah, no, that, that's great. <laughs> and I know that that I mean, this, there's so much more to all of this, and people are going to want to learn about you and and more about your book and the institute. So how can they do that? Yeah, so uh, the book came out a, couple, a few years ago. It's called Evolutionaries, and you can find it on Amazon and Carter Phipps. You can just it's easy to look up, or you can go to my website at carterphipps.com. And the work of the Institute, which, again, is working on a lot of partisan issues, and we, we actually have hosted a number of gatherings of being, bringing people from left and right together and also uh, trying to evolve the left and evolve the right on their own terms. You know, so speaking to leaders on the left and speaking to leaders, having gatherings with leaders on the right as well and trying to evolve the right left. Obviously, we still have a lot of work to do, but I, it's, it's been transformative for me. I've learned a lot in doing that. I feel like I've come to appreciate political views that I didn't, that were on the, that were different than my own more, more deeply. Right. Anyway, so if people want to learn about that, they can go to culturalevolution.org and they can take they can, there's actually a, a, a test up there where you can test your own partisanship, and it gives you ways to, to help uh, evolve out of your own to being hyper-partisan. And you can even take a test up there to look at your own worldview and, and compare it to worldviews that are dissimilar to, ones that, to values that you hold. And, and so there's a lot of things for people to do on that website. So it's culturalevolution.org uh, if people are interested. Great. Well, thank you, Carter. It has been wonderful to have you here and to pique our interest and to really force us to look closely at our own sense of consciousness. Thank you so much, Carter. Keep up the great work you're doing. Thanks, Cheryl. I really appreciate you having me. Remember, everyone, think big. The world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week.